0: Uh, I know there's a lot of churches you could go to on Easter Sunday, right? Everyone puts on their best thing on Easter Sunday, so we're really grateful that you chose ours to be at. I believe that none of you are here by accident, that God has an appointment with you, and He wants to speak to you that Easter Sunday is not just another day. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about darkness and light. Darkness and light. You've probably noticed the theme that they did a great job with the skit about talking about darkness and light. Last week, we talked about a specific part of the darkness, and that was the shadow. How often when we say that we are afraid of the dark, it's not actually the dark that we're afraid of. It's the shadows and the changing light that make us uneasy. But our point last week was that the cross of Jesus, it casts a shadow over all of time, from the fall of man to this very moment. Most importantly, that the shadow of the cross only proves the light of God's kindness. If you're here today and you're not sure what to think about God, let me tell you, he's kind and he loves you. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. If you're interested in hearing uh, any of that stuff, last week I called it The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. You can find our podcast um, if you search Engage Boise, any of your favorite podcast things. Don't have time to go over the whole thing today. But this morning, we're talking more specifically about how we, as people on earth, 2022 can go from darkness to light. I want you to think for a moment about somewhere you've been where it was truly, truly dark. Darkest of the dark. Now, uh, one of the darkest things I can ever remember was that this amazing youth group activity that my church did when I was younger. I've been, uh, I remember accepting the Lord when I was six years old. And I went to this church here in Boise called Central Assembly when I was a teenager a youth pastor did a great job coming up with fun and safe stuff for us to do. You might think this doesn't sound safe as I talk you through it, but uh, uh, he would put in days of work. His name's Terry Andrew. He's a great guy. He put in days of work to put together this elaborate capture the flag game. He simply called war. He called it war. And uh, war was incredible because, you know, he would do it when, in the winter when the sun would go down. And uh, it wasn't just a simple game with one side and the other. The, the property was pretty big with multiple giant buildings. And Pastor Terry, he would, he would hide 44 flags, pieces of gold, he called them, on each side all over the place. You would have a map of where the other people's flags were. And then you would also have some time to find the flags on your side. And there was these elaborate rules. There was complicated scoring. The ones that were the hardest to find were worth the most points. Uh, There was a spy on each team. I don't remember how exactly he figured it out, but we drew cards and someone was a spy for the other team. You can see why this is sounding good to teenagers, right? But the biggest thing is that he would black the entire place out. When I mean black it out, he would go around and put plastic over every exit sign. He would take the light bulb out of every emergency light he could. Now, the church was this place called Central Assembly. They've demolished the building now, but it had this big old sanctuary and uh, like a 1,000 seats. It had this huge uh, part at the top above the balcony where the light would shine through, and we would get up there on these big, scary ladders, and we put plastic over it. And it would be so dark in there that you, I'm not exaggerating, you could not see your hand in front of your face. And, of course, he would hide multiple flags in there, right? So if you were on the other team, you had to sneak in there. You had to crawl under the pews and try and find... All these flags. And it was so dark in there. One of my friends, Ryan, Pastor Terry, walked up, and uh, he somehow knew where he was, and he he scared him. and He literally fainted. Didn't see him. So he got on his face. He said, boo, and the kid literally fainted. And it was so dark in there. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And you'd get in there, and you were hunting for the flags. And eventually, you'd have no idea where you were, even if you were there just about every day like I was. And all you wanted to do was crawl back out to there was like a little semblance of light. It didn't take that much light for it to feel light when you'd been in true darkness like that. All of you hopefully can think of some time you've been in darkness like that. And friends, in our lives on this earth, the human condition for every one of us is that we are either in the darkness or we are in the light. It's one or the other. God wants every single one of us to know this morning that his desire and his design for us is to walk out of that darkness And into his glorious light. To the glorious day, like we sang about earlier. This morning, I want to talk to you quickly about three things Jesus said in his last moments here on this earth. Three things that draw us from darkness to light. First one is this, and it's a statement. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. If you've got your Bible with you, if you brought your Bible on Easter Sunday, or if you brought your phone and you're going to get on an app, that is fine, too. You can turn to Luke chapter 23. That's where we're going to read out of here in a moment. But before we do, I just want to set the stage for you. Uh, We don't have time to read the entire story. We'd be here all day. Last week, we talked extensively about what we call in church and uh, in Christianity the triumphal entry. Just a week before this scripture that we're about to read, the Jewish people had welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, With celebration and singing, he'd been outside Jerusalem and he'd gathered his disciples and the Galileans were following him and he'd go into Jerusalem. The Jewish people came out to meet him. And something we talked about last week is that Jesus knew when he entered Jerusalem, when he got up on that donkey and he rode in, he knew he was giving up his life for us. It wasn't something that happened on accident. He knew what he was going to. It's essential for you to know this morning, friends, that Jesus willingly gave up his life for you and me. He willingly gave it up. And when the week that leads up to this scripture we're about to read, there's a few important events that happen that we'll just kind of summarize. One is that Jesus goes to the temple of the Jewish people and he turns over the tables of the money changers. In the temple, they would sell animals for sacrifices, but they were making a bigger profit than was right. And they were selling animals that weren't good. Jesus comes in and he calls it. He says, you're making my house a den of robbers. And he flips the tables over. He was recalibrating for the Jewish people what a savior looked like. This happens in Matthew chapter 19. And at this point, that's when the religious leaders, they actively begin to plot to take Jesus' life. Jesus would partake in the Last Supper with his disciples. And um, we'll talk some about that next week. As we covered in a little bit of detail last week, it was during Passover— This would have been a traditional Passover meal, matching up with the very first Passover when uh, God preserved the Israelites from the Egyptians. We talked this last Wednesday uh, about how we have a record of the last thing that they would have done together as part of the traditional Passover meal, and that is seeing Psalm chapter 118. If you want to know the last thing they do in a traditional Passover meal, the last thing Jesus did as a group with his disciples before he went to the garden, go read Psalm 118 be powerful if you read it uh, in that light now in the garden of Gethsemane uh, Judas would betray Jesus with a kiss one of his 12 closest friends would come up betray him with a kiss and right after that was a fake trial that would lead to Jesus's execution Peter another one of the disciples and we'll talk some about Peter next week uh, Peter eventually would be called the one on which Jesus would build his church the rock he denied Jesus three times Jesus tells him you're going to deny me three times and Peter says never and he does it. And Jesus, utterly alone, would be left to carry his own cross to the hill that they called the place of the skull. Now, to be crucified alongside Jesus were two convicted thieves. That's where we're going to pick up this story. Uh, Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43 is what we're going to read together. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read there. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Make sure I'm in the right spot here. Luke 23, 32. there you go. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When Jesus prayed these words through his pain, I believe that in this moment, they were for every single person there. The first group that he was praying towards that we saw in there were those who Luke talks about in verse 35. It says there that the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. You see, these were the ones that anyone around there, they would likely have considered what we would say are good people. These were the folks that kept all the rules. These were the folks that went to synagogue or church regularly. These were the ones who tried to uphold order, who obeyed customs that are thousands of years old. These were the ones who Jesus had come to deliver first and foremost, the historic people of God. But when presented with Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, they missed it. And instead of accepting Jesus, They nailed him to the cross. And yet, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. I believe these words, Jesus said, were also meant for the Roman soldiers who physically did the work and stood guard that day. Now, these were men who may or may not have had anything against Jesus. They were just doing their job. They were in the Roman army. And his tough and callous soldiers, they echoed this mockery of the Jewish leaders. Verse 36 says, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now maybe there was even a little hope inside of them that he would save himself. They could see something amazing on that day. Regardless, it also says there that they offered Jesus wine vinegar. That's an Old Testament prophecy uh, that was fulfilled right there. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. They gambled for possession of his clothes, it says there, and yet Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. Now, I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to distance myself from those two groups of people. I like to imagine myself, even if I lived in that time, not going along with the execution of a good man, even if he was bringing teaching that I didn't agree with. I like to imagine myself as not someone who would have been a member of the legalistic crowd there. And I like to imagine myself as not so callous a soldier that even if I was in the army, I would not mock someone who was dying before my eyes. You never know, but for the grace of God go I, right? But I also believe that Jesus was speaking to the criminals that were being tortured right next to him on either side. And Father, forgive them, was meant for the whole of mankind, starting with the two thieves hanging on his right. What's left. We read in there that one of the men joins the rulers and the soldiers and he mocks Jesus in a similar way. I'm sure that thief he was somehow hoping to shame Jesus into saving them all if he did indeed have that power. Hoping, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy into this, I'll see if this guy can get me down from here. But regardless, he's mocking Jesus just as the others are. But something different is happening in that other criminal. And what's happening with this man in this scripture is the thing that changes eternity for some of us in this place today. You see, he recognizes the injustice of all that's happening, unlike his friend on the other side. And in that moment, something so critical happens. He turns to Jesus and they have this exchange in verses 42 and 43. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me. In paradise. Friends, there's something we all have to come to terms with this morning, and that is that every single one of us are sinners. Not a single person in this life can live a life without sin. Jesus is the only one to have ever done it, and though our crimes are not the same, every one of us is just as dead in sin as the thieves that were next to Christ that day. Every one of us are as dead as those guys without Jesus. But today, if you feel like you've spent your entire life running from God, and you feel like he would never, ever accept you, take heart in Jesus' words to that man that was hanging next to him. A man who admits that he deserves the punishment that he's receiving. But also a man who's not attending church. He hasn't had any deep theological discussions. He doesn't go to Sunday school. I doubt he's given a tithe or an offering. Probably hasn't given to the poor. But yet a man who Jesus readily accepts and says will be in heaven. And still Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. It was meant for the rulers, the legalistic people. It was meant for the Roman soldiers. And it was meant for common thieves and sinners, just like you and just like me. You may have lived an entire life apart from God. This may be the first time you've ever been a part of something like this, but no, just like he accepted the thief on the cross, he's ready to accept you today. He's ready to bring your darkness to light. He's ready to bring, friends, your darkness to light. Something else Jesus said. It's a question, and it's one that we find in more than one gospel account. The question is this, why did you forsake me? Now, in life, there's big questions we ask, right? All of us have big questions. This one that we're going to read about, uh, that Jesus asked here in a moment, it changed the direction of all of humanity. But in our present day, everyone has questions. There's questions that here on this earth, we just, we don't know the answer to yet. You're thinking I'm about to get all deep and philosophical on you, but not quite yet. If you've got kids, if you've ever had kids, you are accustomed To answering questions. Can anyone agree with me in the place about kids asking questions? Especially if you spend any time in the car. Yeah, some of you are laughing. You're catching on, right? Um, I know a lot of you, but a fair amount of you here today, I don't know. Uh, We have an eight-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy. We also have a 25-year-old. She was playing bass today. Um, So she's not as big on the questions anymore. But uh, the six-year-old and the eight-year-old They like to ask questions. They're curious. They're good boys. And we live in CUNA, so we're in the car a lot. We're always driving back and forth. Um, And especially once they learn to read the signs, they ask a lot of questions. Right? One of Luke, my six-year-old's biggest questions lately, every time we're going somewhere, is he asks, for some reason, he wants to know what number the exit is that we're going to get off at. And I've been driving here since I was 15 years old, and I don't know any of the exit numbers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't. I just know <laughs> where I'm going, right? I know that I get on at Meridian Road, and I get off at Broadway. And he asks me this question like every day when we drive here, and I don't know the answer. You know, these kids, once they learn to do their numbers, and once they put together, there's a thing on your dash that tells you how fast you're going. And once they ask, start asking you questions about what the white sign with the number means, and they put two and two together, like if it says 65, that's the speed that you're supposed to go. And they ask you questions like, Dad, why are you going 68? It says 65. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're supposed to go that fast, son, but you're something other people, you know, you try and explain it to them. Very common question that I hear from my sons this time of year is, Dad, why did God make fill in the blank? Usually it's mosquitoes or wasps. They always want to know, why did God make mosquitoes and wasps? Because like me, they cannot fathom the purpose of either of those particular insects. I have decent answers for many of their questions, right? I've been explaining the speedometer thing and um, all that stuff. But this one, I've yet to come up with a good answer besides, well, that's the way God made it, right? That's what God wanted to do. Someone here, you might have a great and scientific answer for me when it comes to wasps and mosquitoes and why we need to have them. But I'm just telling you right now, it would not be a good enough answer for either of my boys. (laughs) They see no reason why mosquitoes and wasps should exist. A question I find myself answering, I don't know how old all of you are are here, but why, when I turned 42, did every single thing in my body hurt every day when I woke up in the morning, right? (laughs) I'd heard that 40 was the age, and 40 felt fine, but 42, that's a different story. Now those questions, the ones my sons have and the ones that I have, Those will all pass away. This question that Jesus asked of his father God, this question, it hangs over all of time. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna look at just two verses of Matthew's gospel really quickly. Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46. In your Bible, it's probably subtitled, The Death of Jesus. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About 3 in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, Lamak sabachthani," which means, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" When it comes to what we're talking about this morning, going from darkness to light, these two verses are absolutely essential. Because we see in verse 45 that for 3 hours darkness had come over the land. We know that the sixth hour, if you do some research, the sixth hour is about noon. The ninth hour is about 3 p.m. So in the middle of the day, it's completely dark. And at the conclusion of that darkness, Jesus asks, asks this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the son of God, incarnate on earth, fully God, fully man, has never known a moment without the presence of his father. But for three hours that day, on the cross, in the darkness, Jesus, for the only time in his life, is unable to feel God's presence. You see, friends, the reason that it had become dark during the brightest part of the day, and the reason that Jesus shouted this desperate prayer to his father, was because in this moment, Jesus was taking the sin of all mankind upon himself. The physical light had disappeared from the sky, and on our behalf, God's light had departed from his son on the cross. The reason that this question is so vital, though, is because of this. It's because Jesus is asking the question, not because of his own sin, but because of ours. God didn't forsake Jesus on the cross for that three hours because of Jesus' sin. He forsook Jesus on the cross for those three hours because of my sin. The question wasn't for Jesus. It was for us. We talked about questions in a lighthearted way a few minutes ago. And we've all got bigger questions than speed limits and wasps and mosquitoes. We've got questions like, God, why did the people that I thought loved me, why did they treat me that way? I thought that was my friend. I thought that was my family. Why did they treat me that way? God, why do I struggle daily with this habit or this addiction that I can't seem to get away from no matter how hard I try? I've tried and I've tried. I've prayed. I've met with people. God, what do I have to do to make amends for the mistake I've made? I feel so guilty about something I did decades ago. God, what do I have to do? God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away? friends, the answer is that Jesus on the cross that day, he had to be the pure and the spotless sacrifice for your and for my sins and for the sins of the entire world. And Jesus on the cross, when he was without the presence of his father for three hours in the pitch black, he became the sacrifice for those criminals that were hanging next to him And he became the sacrifice for you and for me. You see, darkness began to turn to light when Jesus asked that question. My God, why have you forsaken me? And because of that, we can have God's light in our life today. One more thing Jesus said that brings our darkness to light. It's this question, who is it you're looking for? Jesus, soon after he asks that first question, he breathes his last breath as a human on this earth. We're going to look as we prepare to close here in a few minutes at John chapter 20, just briefly. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Shortly after calling out to God, just like we read about a moment ago, Jesus commits his spirit to God. He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he says in John 19, 30, it is finished. It is finished. Now a good man, Joseph of Arimathea, he asks the authorities for the body of Jesus. And he and another man, Nicodemus, they take the body of Jesus and they place it in a garden tomb where no one's ever been laid. And early on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene's is a beautiful story. If you're not familiar with it, um, this is different than Jesus' mother. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. It was a common name. But if you're unfamiliar with it, it's different than Jesus' mother. She was one of the few uh, not to flee, though, when Jesus was on the cross, along with Jesus' mother Mary and the Apostle John. Interestingly, we see no record of any of the other disciples drawing near to the cross during that time. If it had happened, it would be written down here if any of the disciples had been close to the cross. But Mary Magdalene, she had much to be thankful for. It's a message for another time, but we read in Luke chapter eight that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. And we know from that moment on that she devoted her life to Jesus, just like the disciples, she was with him all the time. And after Jesus dies and he's placed in the grave, Mary is the first one that we read about at the tomb. It's an incredible story. She goes to the tomb. She sees that the stone is rolled away. It's different than a tomb you would imagine these days. It's a room that you can walk down into, look down into, like some shelves kind of to lay people on. But it was still dark, it says in verse 1 of chapter 20. She went early in the morning when it was still dark. But she sees that the stone has been rolled away. Something has been disturbed. So Mary immediately finds the disciples. And she tells them she thinks someone has taken Jesus' body from the tomb. Remember, uh, Jesus had told them he was going to be raised from the dead, but they did not understand what he was saying. The beginning of the chapter it tells us that Peter and John they start out running for the tomb. They run there. It says the disciple who Jesus loved and John always refers to himself that way in his gospel it says the disciple who Jesus loved got there first. Of course, John, since he wrote the gospel, he had to put that in there that he got there first. And verse 9 tells us they, they still didn't understand fully that he would rise from the dead. They'd seen him brutally killed. This man that they'd followed and seen raise people from the dead and do miracle after miracle, they'd seen him be executed. And that brings us to John 20 11 through 16. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni," which means teacher. As we get ready to close this morning, We're going to bow our heads and pray together. I want us to see just a few simple things from this scripture. So powerful and meaningful to me. One is that through all of this, Mary Magdalene's love for Jesus had never been shaken. She'd seen him die with her own two eyes, but she never stopped believing in who he was. Remember, she'd been possessed by seven demons and she'd been delivered. She had reason to believe in him surely she'd never forgotten what he'd done for her when she was delivered from those seven demons and we think mary probably went to the tomb that morning to make sure that the body hadn't been disturbed wasn't one of the 12 disciples it was she this mary magdalene who remained devoted to jesus on this day so when jesus asks her this beautiful question who is it that you are looking for it's not a difficult question for her to answer she's looking for the one who saved her life she's looking for the one who freed her from a life of bondage but what's amazing is that she at first doesn't even recognize him if you read through the gospel accounts of the resurrection we see this more than once that the people who had previously known Jesus they they don't recognize him at first when he first speaks or when they first see him but I want you to see something in verse 16 in your Bibles on your app or whatever highlight this mark it look what it says in verse 16 she turned toward him you see it appears that she has already turned to leave she's come she's looked inside the tomb she's seen that jesus's body is not there and she's already turned to leave she's been unable to find her savior and she is determined to find her savior Find out where he's been taken. But then verse 16 tells us what it was that made Mary turn back around. See what it says there? Just the simple thing. Jesus said to her, Mary. Know this, friends, sitting in this room. When Jesus called her name, Mary immediately knew the voice of her Redeemer. When Jesus said her name, she knew exactly who it was. And what she scarcely believed could happen was true before her very eyes the answer to that question who is it that you're looking for Mary was looking for a savior for the one who had saved her life the Sun the stone had been rolled away and the Sun had flooded the tomb and darkness had turned to light Jesus had taken the punishment the penalty for the religious leaders who mocked him the roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross the criminals on either side of him the 12 disciples even those who would let him down you want to think about something deep you think about how jesus the last supper he washed his disciples feet one of those was judas who he knew was about to betray him that's what jesus did with his last time on earth Jesus has taken the punishment for Mary Magdalene, and he's taken it for you and I. And Today, friends, the light of Christ shines on every one of us. The kindness of God is in this place. It's shining over us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're almost done this morning. We're doing this just so uh, we can have a moment between us and God. Like I've said a couple of times already, we believe no one is here by accident, and God may have an appointment with you today. And he's asking every single one of us that same question that Jesus asked Mary Magdalene. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for someone who can take your punishment? Are you looking for someone who can give you grace? Are you looking for someone who can call you from darkness to light? And redeem your life because if you are the redeemer his name is Jesus just as he did with Mary Magdalene that morning he's calling your name this morning if you're looking for a savior the Savior is calling your name even if you've walked the other way more times than you could possibly count even if you walked into this place and you're not even sure weren't even sure when you came in if God is real but you're feeling something something is Jesus speaking to you today like we've talked about over and over again uh, over the past several months at this church God's desire is that every single one of us would know him that Jesus would live in every single one of our hearts says in John chapter 1 that when we accept Christ We believe in our hearts that he's the son of God. He lived a life with no sin. He died and he rose again. That he enters into our hearts. You spend eternity with him. Friends, the Savior, I'd be calling your name this morning. Even if you'd call yourself a sinner like I would, the Savior's calling your name this morning. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm not going to call you out or single you out. We're just going to pray together here in a moment, all of us. But if you're here today and uh, if you're honest, you would say, you know what? I am far from God. And I do hear the Redeemer calling my name this morning. Maybe I, I knew Jesus a long time ago and I'm far away. Maybe you're here and this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. But your heart's beating fast and you know something is happening. That is the Redeemer calling your name. So if you're here this morning and that's you, when I count to three, would you raise your hand? I'm the only one looking. We're going to all pray together afterwards. If you need your Redeemer uh, today, if you need to accept Christ as your Savior, would you raise your hand for me so we can pray when I count to three. One, two, three. Awesome, thank you. I see those hands. Friends, every one of us in this place, even if you didn't raise your hand, would you just repeat this prayer? After me, what we're doing is we're agreeing with those who raised their hands. Maybe even the ones who were too nervous to We're agreeing with them that Jesus is going to come redeem our lives. Everyone in the place, would you say, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. I believe you came to earth. You lived a life with no sin. You died and you rose again. This morning, I hear you calling my name and I accept you into my heart. I believe in you forgive me of my sins in your name Jesus amen amen, amen. friends if you said that prayer this morning and uh, you meant it from the bottom of your heart whether you raised your hand or you didn't know that you are a new creation the the scripture we quote earlier 2nd Corinthians uh, if anyone is in Christ is a new creation the old has gone the new has come God's making you new in this very moment we're going to be praying for you that this is the best week that you have ever had. And God would go before you. I we'll just let you know, remind you of a couple things before we get ready to uh, finish church today. Next week we're going to take communion together. We're going to celebrate uh, and remember the body and the blood and we'll take communion and we'll pray over it. And uh, if today is a new start for you, I encourage you, come next week and let's uh, begin to walk the road together. Also, if you want to be baptized in water, maybe you're here today and you rededicated your life, Uh, you want to be baptized in water, we have a sign-up sheet out there. We'd love to baptize you in water, celebrate what God is doing. Amen. Amen. Um, I have a few uh, things for you as we get ready to go to our Easter egg hunt. Man, it's been a great day at our church. Thank you for coming. The weather is beautiful. We've prayed for a nice sunny day and praise the Lord. It's nice and sunny and not snowing. You wouldn't think in April you'd have to hope for that, but that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. All right, uh, you see Pastor Lucas there? Uh, he's the one in the beautiful yellow vest right there. He's going to be our MC. He's got the megaphone, so as we get out there, he's going to give you some directions. And if you've got kids, you can grab your kids from our kids things, and uh, you're going to see some signs directing you as you go out the doors there. So we have an Easter egg hunt for like kindergarten and under over to the right, and one for elementary schoolers just right across the parking lot in the big grassy area. Out there where that orange fence is We got a bunch of eggs Every kid should be able to get some eggs uh, If they get an egg that has a number in it They get a prize from that table One prize per kid, please Would be great uh, We have plenty of eggs though So all the kids should get quite a few eggs uh, If you were here for the first time And you didn't get uh, one of our coffee cups reforms, Pastor Almeida is right there See her on your way out She's right there by the window With the red lights around it We would love to just say hello. Thank you for coming. Know that we've prayed for you on this day. We have believed that God would do something in your life, and we believe he has. So as we uh, continue to celebrate, go have a fantastic day with our families. Uh, Catch our photo booth on the way out. Take a picture of everyone in their Sunday best. I know my son John was really frustrated. He had to not wear sports clothes today. So if your kids are like mine, take a picture while you can. We pray over you once more. Lord Jesus. Thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you indeed that you are risen from the grave. You were not in that tomb. Jesus, I pray that your light and your love would go with every person, every family represented here would be full of your grace and mercy. For those, Lord, where you started a journey with them today, back to you, I pray it would continue in this moment between now and next week. Bring them back here safely next week as we take communion. Poke people's hearts to get water baptized. But would you let this day be uh, incredible with our families, but also all about your grace and your mercy, your love that's as far as the east is from the west? Would you bring us back here safely next week? We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Friends.